Amen. If you would, you could keep your finger there in Revelation chapter 6. And we could turn quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we've continued our journey through the book of Revelation. where We've come now to chapter 6. The previous chapters, some have been nice, some have been not so nice, right? We start off in chapter 1 just getting a true picture of who Jesus Christ is is today he's no longer that suffering servant he's no longer just that carpenter he's no longer just that man that has sacrificed his life for us but he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and we saw that in chapter one in chapter two and three we've seen these seven historical churches that jesus writes letters to each and every one of them and his heart for them how he loves them and cares for them but also how he either encourages them or he encourages and rebukes them, right? He tells them the things they're doing wrong, the things that they need to work on. We know it's written to seven historical churches. We know it's a picture of church history at large. We know that it's a picture for myself as a pastor to look at and pray, Lord, which church are we at Calvary Chapel, Miami? And it's also for us to personally look at, Lord, who am I? Have I left my first love, do I no longer love you the way I used to? Lord, is my heart just hard towards you and I'm just riding on my good reputation, but inside I'm just dead inside? Just, Lord, where am I at? And then in chapter 4 and 5, we were transported there with John, a perfect place to place the rapture there. And John is transported to the throne room of God, where God is, where the Lamb is, right? Jesus Christ, the 24 elders, the four cherubim, and all the saints, these elders worshiping God on a continual basis. However, now when we come to Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see the wrath of God be poured out on mankind. And if this is your first time at Calvary Chapel, Miami, please come one more time just in case, right? Maybe the subject might be too tough for you. Or, wow, what do these people believe? Crazy stuff, right? And again, Revelation's an important book, and it's the only book that's just pure prophecy within the New Testament. Whereas in the Old Testament, a huge portion, right? You have minor prophets and you have the major prophets there. In the New Testament, every chapter, right? Not every chapter. Every book has portions of prophecy in it. But Revelation is the only book that is just purely, right, prophecy for the vast majority of the book. All that to say, how should we apply Revelation chapter 6 to our lives today? As we'll see in the moment, should we sell any property on islands and buy property in in caves and mountains, right? That's not necessarily the case. I believe the true application for us in Revelation chapter 6 is first and foremost, it should stir up gratitude in every single one of our hearts here if if we're saved. Because as we see the cup of God's wrath being poured out on mankind, or rather just the peace and the presence of God being taken away from mankind, we are reminded that as we come to Christ, He's taken our cup of wrath, and now we get to take His cup of blood, His cup of the new covenant, the, the cup of communion, because Jesus has taken the wrath that I deserve and the wrath that you deserve. So first and foremost, as we read chapter 6, we should be thinking, wow, Lord, you are saving me from this wrath. Lord, you're so good. Lord, you're so gracious. The other thing that it should stir within us is just a reality of what's important and of what's not important. 
Every once in a while, right, you go through a health crisis and there's sort of a reset. Hey, what's important in my life? What's important with my family, with my kids? Maybe your, your wife or your kids, they get in a terrible car accident, but somehow they survive and there's a reset in your mind. Man, maybe the Dolphins game really isn't that important, right? And you sort of reset your life and you realign things. Okay, what's important, what's not important? Because as we look at Revelation 6, what good is it if our family or friends or kids are set up academically or set up in sports or set up in clubs, but yet they have to go through the wrath of God? That's not worth anything. That's a terrible trade. That's a terrible trying to line up what's important and what's not important. So again, we should sort of have a reset. What good is it if we have all these little earthly goods and earthly fun, and yet we have to go through this great tribulation? It's not worth it. And then finally, it should stir within us a zeal to see unsaved friends, family members, and even strangers coming to Jesus Christ. Because we don't want them to go through the wrath of God, even our worst enemies, right? No matter who your worst enemy is, you don't want to see them going through this wrath of God. You want to see them come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would know that Jesus took on God's wrath for them. So again, gratitude, a realigning of what's important, and a renewed zeal to see the lost saved. Hopefully you're still there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and sort of a foundation before we jump into chapter 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 9 through 11, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, right in view of this, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. It's important for us to know we as believers are not appointed unto wrath. That's why here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Because there's no picture in the Old Testament or New Testament where God is pouring out his wrath, his judgment on a people, a nation, a city, or even a world with the worldwide flood that he does not take or save his people before his wrath comes. There's, There's just no picture of that. And God, he has not appointed us unto wrath, but Jesus has taken our wrath already. He's not going to give us double wrath. He's not going to allow Jesus to go through all the pain and all the agony, all the sacrifice he went through, and then say, you know what, that's not enough. i got to pour even more wrath out on them. No, Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full upon the cross. So again, for us as believers, that wrath is already gone. It's paid for. The other thing to keep in mind is there in verse 11, Comfort one another and edify one another right, with these words. Is it comforting to hear that you're going to have to go through the reign of the Antichrist, right? Oh, I feel so good inside, right? Is it comforting to know that peace itself is going to be taken from the planet and just chaos is going to ensue and wars and just death and murders just happening? Is that, is that like comforting to any of us, Right? Is it comforting to us that the world, right, the supply chain, the food is going to be at such a crisis that your one day's wage will get you four quarts of flour to make a loaf of bread? I feel comforted. I'll be able to lose weight finally, right? It's not comforting. 
It's not comforting whatsoever. So again, as Paul believed it was so important to tell this church about the end of age, right? He's there with them only three Sabbaths. It's important that these words should comfort us, right? They should bring us comfort because God has not appointed us unto this wrath. And it should put a desire in us that we want to save one another from the wrath to come. Let's turn to Matthew 24. There in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of this day, right? Jesus, he promises us we will go through tribulation. You could think of tribulation with a small t, right? You're going to go through health problems. You're going to go through bad traffic. You're going to go through people robbing from you and stealing from you. You're going to go through picking the wrong cashier at the grocery store, right? Whatever your idea of tribulation is, we will all go through it. That's what this earth is all about. It's not perfect. It's broken. It's not what God intended. Sin has come in and we've bought into it. However, Jesus here in Matthew 24, he's going to talk about what leads up to the great tribulation, all capitalized, right? It's not a lowercase t. It's just all capitalized tribulation. He's going to speak about what leads up to it and then what the tribulation is going to be like. There in Matthew 24... Verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, seeing that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Again, this is just the beginning. Jesus calls them birth pangs, right? If there's any moms here, any fathers here, you've been through that, right? The first, the first birth pangs, right? Sometimes Braxton Hicks, they get a small pain. Uh, I, I don't know if that's actually the baby or just what I ate for dinner, right? I, I don't know what's going on. There's sort of that, eh, well, I don't know what's going on. It feels like butterflies in my stomach, right? But then what happens an hour later, an hour later, an hour later, an hour later, right? It goes from small flutters to all of a sudden maybe a little bit louder flutters, right? A little bit more screaming, a little bit stronger of a grasp, Right? And then towards the end, I warned some of the new dads here, hey, whatever your wife says to you while she's going through labor and six months afterwards, don't take any of it personally, right? <laughs> Can't take any of it personally because it's just pain that happens and it stops, it stops for a bit and then it comes back even stronger, stops for a little bit and it comes back even stronger. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. Some people, they're waiting, right? They're saying, oh, things are, when are things going to go back to normal? They're never going to go back to normal. Right? Great news for us today. They're never going back to normal. It's birth pangs. There's this pain that comes, and then it'll subside. Everybody will relax. Everything will be fine. And then the pain will be even greater. It'll be worse than the last three years. Over and over and over again. This will happen until the day that Jesus comes, and he takes his bride home. He doesn't, come, he doesn't step foot on earth, but he comes to first take his bride, take the church, and then secondly, he will come with his church at the end of these seven years. In verse 21, there in Matthew 24, Jesus speaking of this day, he says, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, 
no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So again, Jesus is saying, it's going to be such a difficult time. It's just difficulties and atrocities and wars that this world has never seen. This world has had a worldwide flood. We've had one world war. We've had two world wars. We've had nuclear bombs going off. We've had 9-11. We've had this past, right, all the COVID problems that we've had. We've had the, the black plague. We've had the bird flu. And all of that is going to be child's play compared to the great tribulation. Again, God has not appointed us to wrath, but there's a problem that comes. Every once in a while, even Christians, we buy into this lie saying, man, it's never happened. The tribulation hasn't happened yet. Antichrist hasn't happened yet. It's probably never going to come. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And this will be the last portion of scripture we look at before we dive in here. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is exactly what Peter warns us about in the last days. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So they'll scoff at you, they'll scoff at me and what we believe in Scripture, but they're going to walk according to their own lusts and own desires. Verse 4, And saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the waters and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God is saying, hey, they're going to mock. They're going to say, you've talked about this. This is never going to happen. God is telling us, don't forget about Noah. Don't forget about Noah. For decades, Noah was warning people, hey, it's going to rain. It had never rained before, right? They had no idea. Noah, you're crazy, man. You're building a huge boat. What's wrong with you? You've got all these animals in your house. you become a cat lady, right? What's happening to you, Noah? What's happening to you? And they continued to mock him. They continued to belittle him. But what happened one day? It started to rain. It started to rain. And here Peter's warning us that in the end of times, people are going to be walking according to their lusts, and they're going to be scoffing at God's word, God's promises. Then in verse 7, it says, By that same promise, that same word, all of this earth, all of the world, all of the universe has a day reserved for judgment. Verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt 
with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. What is God telling us here? The, the reason that the rapture hasn't happened is because of his grace and mercy. It's just his grace and mercy. He does not will, he does not desire that any should perish, but his desire, his will is that all should come to repentance. And I asked this question at the 9 a.m. How many of you have gotten saved or serious with the Lord within the last five years? Raise your hand. Anybody here that shouldn't be ashamed about that at church, you should be excited about that at church, right? A handful of us here, a good amount of us. How many of you have gotten saved within the last 10 years? You've really come to the Lord, you're a disciple of Jesus within the last 10 years, right? Many of us here. So where would we be at today if Jesus and the rapture happened six years ago? We'd be at year six of the tribulation right now, right? Not a good place to be. What happened if the rapture would have come 11 years ago? We wouldn't be in a good place right now. It's only been because of his long suffering towards us, his grace and mercy. So should we stop praying, right? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Should we stop praying, Hosanna, come save us, come save us? Not at all. We should pray these things, but we should be serious about seeing the lost saved. We should be serious about putting treasures in heaven where there's no moths, there's no rust, there's no thieves, there's no economy collapses or bubbles popping, right? We should be putting treasures up there in heaven. When, when you look at your life, whether it's a pie chart, whether you're putting scales, right? How much of your life is spent on eternal things compared to temporal things? How much of our hours during the day, hours during the week, are we wasting on things that are just worthless, right? They're going to disappear within a year, within seven years, within 20 years. No one's going to even remember those things. I don't know how many of you remember pogs, right? Some people are obsessed with that. Pokemon cards, they come back for some reason, right? But, right, different seasons of life where people are obsessed with things. Baseball cards, basketball cards during the pandemic. And now it's kind of like worthless all over again. We invest so much time in these things, but are we putting treasures in heaven? Right? How many people will be in heaven because of your words to them? How many people will be in heaven because of your testimony, your love, your forgiveness, your exhortation to them? Or will you just kind of be all alone, right? No one's there because of me. No one's there because of my love towards them or my encouragement towards them. Again, as we read chapter 6, we could turn there now. Revelation chapter 6. Our, is our mind truly set on heavenly things, or is our mind only set on these earthly things? Here we're going to see these six out of the seven seals opened. The first four are known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is a term even in much of literature, even within sports. If you have four good players on a team, they'll call them the four horsemen of this team or that team. We'll read verse 1 through 2. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Again, we know from last chapter, Jesus, he's the only one worthy to take the scroll. That scroll is the property deed to the planet. That scroll is the last will and testament of God the Father for the end of age, right? And Jesus is the only one worthy to take the scroll 
The scroll has seven seals, and he begins to peel away one seal at a time. One of the four beasts, right, one of the four creatures, one of the four cherubim, has a voice there like thunder, which talks about judgment, a coming storm, and he says, come and see what's about to transpire. And then here in verse 2, we see a white horse coming, and the one who sits on it, he has a bow, and he has a crown which has been given to him, And he's going forth conquering, and his goal and his purpose is to conquer. Now, you guys have seen the movie. Some of you are into westerns, right? Good guys, bad guys. Who's the guy that comes in on the white horse? This is the good guy, right? You guys have seen Star Wars. Only the bad guys have red lightsabers, right, and black clothes. It's easy to pick good guy and bad guy. However, if there was a smart bad guy, how would he trick the good guys? Just come in on a white horse in a sense, right? And sadly for many people, they read this scripture and they think that this is Jesus, right? Jesus is coming on the white horse. However, we see that this rider has a bow in his hand. And within the New Testament, there's only one person who fires arrows or darts. And who is that? That's Satan. That's not Jesus. Our Lord and Savior comes in chapter 19 with a sword. And behind him, there's peace There's safety, there's tranquility, there's food, there's just blessings. Behind this man and this rider, there's only death, pestilence, war, hunger, and chaos transpiring. This is none other than, right, the famous person, the Antichrist, someone that sometimes Christians get a little too obsessed with, right? Our focus should be on Christ. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of the Antichrist. However, he comes on a white horse. Again, everybody's going to think that he's coming to bring peace. And at first, he's going to bring peace among the nations. But then war and chaos will transpire. He has a bow. He doesn't have any arrows. Again, that's revealing. Again, he's coming at first with peace. There it says a crown. He hasn't earned it, but it was given to him. This is a picture, if you remember, Jesus was tempted by Satan, that Satan would give him authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And here Satan, he gives this Antichrist a crown, and he's able to have authority over all the kingdoms, all the political powers of the world, and he goes forth conquering, and his goal and purpose is to conquer. What appears to be good will be the absolute personification of evil. Wish we had time, but you could just write down Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. This is known as the 70th week of Daniel. God gives Daniel a prophetic timeline that leads to the exact day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Today we celebrated Palm Sunday. And then that stopwatch is sort of put on pause. Or the hourglass is put on its side until the day that God has Jesus come down and take his bride. And then the clock starts ticking once again. The Antichrist appears on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation. And it's just war, famine, and pain that follows him. When Jesus comes in our life today and at the end of Revelation in chapter 19, one of the first things we receive is peace and blessing. It's one of the first things you receive when you really give your life to the Lord, when you've been changed from the inside out, from death for all of eternity to life for all of eternity. You just receive this peace all of a sudden. right? If you don't have any peace, then your walk and relationship with Jesus, it's off. 
Maybe there's habitual sin in your life. Maybe you were never saved in the first place. But if there's no peace in your life, maybe you have an idol set up, Jesus brings peace into our lives. If you've ever been to a funeral of a believer, there's a certain peace there. There's a certain safety. There's a certain, man, there's, there's bitterness, there's sadness, there's crying. But there's peace. We know exactly where this person's at. You might even be able to tell a joke at a Christian funeral, right? People laugh. They joke around. But if you've ever been to a funeral of an unbeliever, there's no peace. There's almost just this agony, this crying, this weeping, this just raw emotion that is completely unbridled. Only in Jesus can we have peace. And what we're going to see, one of the four horsemen, all they do is just they're given power to take away the peace. And just chaos ensues. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're quick, you could turn there. If not, you could just stay put. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul, he speaks a lot with this church about the great tribulation and about the Antichrist. And he tells them in chapter 2, the second epistle of Thessalonians, verse 5. He says, do you not remember... That when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This is speaking of the Antichrist. And here Paul, he tells them in verse 6, first there is something that is restraining, and it's only until that thing that is restraining is gone, that's when the Antichrist can come. The lawless one will come. That restraining work on our planet, it's the Holy Spirit, and he works quite often within the church and the body of Christ. We are that restraining and preserving power upon our planet. If you remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus tells us, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt, especially in ancient times, was a preserving agent. There's no refrigeration. There's no slushies. There's no ices, right? There's nothing like that. The only thing that would preserve food, and especially meat, was salt. And again, in this day and age, it's mostly believers that make up that restraining and that preserving power on this planet. You think of the largest group of people that care about life inside the womb. Who is that? It's believers. They're trying to restrain that. They're trying to save babies that are going to be murdered. That's a restraining. That is a preserving force. You think of the war in Ukraine right now. Who are most of the people going into this war zone with their own money sent by other people's donations to go and save life? It's mostly believers. You think of most of the hospitals today. Most of them have been founded by believers. Baptist Hospital. Why do you think it's called Baptist Hospital? 
It was founded by the Baptist Church. That's why that's there, that network of hospitals within our city. The preserving force on this planet, it is believers. Those that care most about family and the home and children's innocence. It is mostly believers. And what does the world think about us? They hate us. They cannot stand us. Again, you got to prepare your sons and daughters for this. This world hates them if they love Jesus, if they have the love of Christ in their heart. This world hates them. This world is desiring a day when none of us exist. None of us are on this planet where there's no room for Jesus or God. And one day God will give them the desires of their heart. Again, when was the last time you heard a politician that was a full-blown believer? It just doesn't really exist. The moment that they are a real believer, it's like raya, right? They're just kicked out of there. They can't talk about them. They're painting in a difficult light. I'm not talking about a politician that attends church one time, right? A week before the election cycle, right? But someone who's consistently at church, it just rarely exists. There is a hatred towards this restraining and preserving power on this planet. But one day it will be taken away and that's when the Antichrist can come forth. And this spirit of the Antichrist, it's been around since the book of Genesis. The first man that had it, in a sense, was a man by the name of Nimrod, right? I don't know if you still use that name in a bad connotation, making fun of someone, right? But Nimrod, he was a great hunter with a bow, interesting, right, and arrow. And there in the Hebrew, when it's talking about him being a great hunter, it's not just a great hunter for animals, but that Nimrod enjoyed hunting humans, And that he was a great hunter of humans and of animals. And he was the first one that started Babylon and the world power of Babylon. Again, a hunger and desire to conquer this whole world. It's been Nimrod. It's been the different Caesars, right? It's been Nero. You could think of Adolf Hitler. And that spirit of the Antichrist, it always has to be around because no one but God knows the day or the hour. But our job as believers is not to be obsessed with the Antichrist. Some people are, right? Where is he? I want to know where he is, right? Who's the Antichrist? Is it the president? Is he hiding in England? Is he hiding? Is he, is he in the Roman Catholic Church? Right? Where's the Antichrist? That's not what we should be obsessed with. We should be obsessed with God, his word, and Jesus Christ. There in verse 3, back in Revelation 6, it says, When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, a fiery red horse, went out, And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Again, we've spoken about it. The preserving power upon this world will be taken away. And is peace what is natural in the life of a human being? Is peace what is natural? That's a good question to ask yourself. Ask any of the mom and dads here. When you have two kids and you leave them in a room alone, right? Is peace what is natural? Is that just what's naturally? Or do you have to teach? This is how you fight with one another, right? This is how you pull each other's hair. This is how you say mine. Or this is how you do. You just leave them in a room alone and you'll see there's no natural peace there. Within some of our marriages, right? If we're honest, it's only by the grace of God that there is peace within our home. You ask any police officer here, is peace what is just natural in the streets and in the world around us? Peace is a gift from God. It is not the natural state of mankind. 
That's why there's such a, law, a lie in humanism that somehow we're going to continue to better ourselves and fix all the problems and the woes of this world. It's a complete and utter lie. Mankind, we are depraved. We are sinners in need of a Savior. It's only by His grace and it's only by faith that we can be saved and be changed. In and of ourselves, there is only evil and the worst kinds of evil. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Don't say any different about your kids and who they are, right? Again, each and every one of us, what's bound up, wound up deep inside of us, it's evil. It's utter destruction. And there will be a day when God gives Satan, right, in a sense, the freedom to do as he wishes. He's going to give the earth their desires, their, their desire to see no more Christians, see no more God, see no more Jesus. And he's going to give them that desire. Peace is going to be taken away from earth. And once peace is taken away, they begin to kill one another. And there's given a great sword to this horseman. Right? If you see the news constantly, they're showing all the dead bodies in Ukraine. That won't just be war there. There'll be war all over the planet, in our city, in our neighborhood. We think of the past three years, how quickly things just turned to chaos. How quickly the riots happened and it was just a mob rule mentality every night, every evening, going out and causing chaos. It can happen in an instant and in a moment, much less when you have a rapture taking place. A lot of the peacemakers, they're all gone. The people trying to calm things down, they're all gone. And now the peace, the preserving agent on this planet will be gone as well. So there will be utter chaos, destruction, and death all over the planet in every single neighborhood. There in verse 5, usually a natural byproduct of war is famine. And in verse 5 and 6 it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse... And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. These scales speak of having to be careful in rationing out our food. That after this great war, after all these difficulties, after all this violence, in a sense, there's going to be a great famine or the whole food line, the whole food chain is going to be broken and it's just going to be utter chaos. He says there a quart of wheat, right, for a denarius. A denarius is one day's wage. One day's wage. So today, uh, last time I heard, right, a one day's wage for hard labor is about 150 bucks a day, 170 bucks a day. So imagine working all day long. To receive that $150, $170, and all you get with that is four quarts of wheat. And that, quart of, that one quart of wheat gives you enough wheat to make one loaf of bread. So you're working the whole day to make one loaf of bread. One person's working the whole day to make just one loaf of bread. Again, difficulty is going to ensue. There it speaks about barley. You could get three quarts of barley instead of one quart of wheat. And barley, for, mo for the most part, was used to feed animals. So this is saying every home during the Great Tribulation is going to have to come to a decision. Do we buy enough for one loaf of bread? Or do we buy enough animal feed? Do we buy enough dog food to be able to feed three people today? 
right? That decision is going to have to be made. Again, there's no comfort in these words, right? Unless you're looking for a diet and you have no way, right, to keep yourself away from food, right? There's no comforting. There's no good news here. This is the wrath of God. Again, the difficulties here. Most of us, we've never spent a day truly hungry, a day of starvation for most of us. Every new year, what's our resolution? It's not to gain weight because we're so thin, right? For most of us, it's to lose weight. But here in this day, the whole world is going to go through hunger and through difficulty. At the end of verse 6, it tells us there, do not harm the oil and the wine. So there's two, two ways that we can look at this. This is either going to speak of the classes continuing to separate, the lower class and the high class, they're just going to continue to separate. So the lower class, they're going to be working all day for just enough flour to make one loaf of bread. And the higher class, they're going to have all the oil, all the wine, all the expensive things that they want. Or what this may be speaking of, which I think it is, is that there's going to be such a need for food, people aren't going to be spending money on the fancy things in life. There's just going to be no room for it. There's going to be no room to, right, to try to buy completely organic chicken, right? Because you're just trying to survive with your just one loaf of bread. I can't spend eight bucks on the chicken breast, right? So you just need enough money to buy that one loaf of bread. Oh, is this Wagyu beef? Is it A5, A6? There's going to be no room for that. There's going to be sitting on the shelf because there's going to be so much hunger and starvation that the oil and the wine and the more expensive, the finer things in life will just be sitting there on the shelves. There in verse 7... It says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. And so I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death. And he had a buddy with him too. It says, and Hades followed with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death. And by the beasts of the earth. Again, if you've ever gone out riding horses, maybe you have a black horse, a brown horse, a white horse with black spots, right? Whatever the case may be. This pale horse is a horse that is yellowish green, right? It's a horse that looks like death rolled over, literally, right? And it's being ridden on by a, the personification of death. And his rider, his buddy with him, is hell itself. And there's given power to him. We don't know if this is a result of the first three seals being broken or if this is going to be on top of these three seals being broken. But he's going to be able to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. One-fourth of the earth. Right now this morning when I checked the the census right for the population of the whole planet is 7.8 billion people so a quarter of that would be around 1.8 billion people all dying all at once in one season of life again jesus said this time period is going to be like something the world has never seen and will never see this is 33 times the amount of death during world war ii 33 times over. The U.S. population is about 332 million people. So in order to get to 1.8 billion deaths, you'd wipe out all of Canada, all of the United States, all of Central America, all of South America, 
and all of Western Europe. Just erase all the people there. Think of L.A., New York City, Miami, all these big cities just completely emptied and just filled with death. Again, nothing has ever happened like this. Nothing will ever happen like this. There's no peace and safety here. God does not want to pour out this wrath on his people, and he gives us a chance to take his cup of salvation. He gives us a chance to take his cup of the new covenant so that we won't have to go through this cup of God's wrath. Again, may we get serious with our walk and relationship with the Lord. May we be ready to meet him and see him face to face. There in verse 9 it says, When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. Until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was complete. So here during this fifth seal, you have all the martyrs of mankind up until this moment during the tribulation, crying out and asking the Lord, Lord, how long? How long do you exact revenge? How long do you exact vengeance for us? Them being spoken of that they were under, right? The, the, the altar there with the Lord there in the throne room of God, their souls being at the altar, it's speaking of an offering poured out for God. And how our lives, right, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, our lives should be a living sacrifice poured out for the Lord. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 7, it speaks of the sacrifice that the Levite was to pour out the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. Is your life completely being poured out for the Lord? Or do you have different kingdoms set up that you're trying to protect? Right? And in our own minds and parents and in our kids, are we trying to keep certain things for ourselves? Are we saying, man, their life is to be poured out for God? David Guzik makes such a great point. It's not the way that someone dies that makes them a martyr. It's the way that they lived. What makes someone a martyr is the way that they lived. It's not just the way that they died. That word martyr is witness. Are you a witness of the power of Jesus Christ? Is your life a witness of the power over death? Is your life a witness of the power over sin? Is your life a witness of the power of agape love, forgiving people, not harboring bitterness, not gossiping? Is that what your life is a witness of? That's what it means to be a martyr. And here they're asking, right? It's different than Jesus and Stephen saying, Lord, forgive our killers, right? Lord, forgive the people that have killed us. These martyrs are saying, Lord, how long? Till you will exact vengeance for us. How long till you will avenge our blood? And this is just, this is true. And God says, hey, just a little while longer. It's interesting because some people, they have great difficulty when God pours out his wrath. And some people look at this, oh, the God of the Bible, what an evil God. No grace, no love, no mercy, just wrath. And it's such a lie from the enemy. Right? When you have a judge exact a good sentence... And judgment is being poured out because of someone's evil. When justice has been served and things are being made right, do our hearts not have peace and satisfaction there? 
However, when God is going to exact his wrath on this world, there are many people that get sick. Oh, how mean, how cruel. Not the case at all. God has given his only begotten son, and he died for the sins of the entire world. How could he not pour out his wrath on all of mankind that would scoff at the name of Jesus Christ? How could he not pour out his wrath on a people that he sent his son to die for, turn their noses around and scoff at him and try to stay in their sin? How could he not pour out his wrath? You see, perfect love needs to be capable of wrath. Perfect love has to be capable of that. I think many of the ladies here, they want their husbands to be filled with love, but I think you want your husband also to be able to protect you, right? Also be able to protect your home, protect your family. And if our God would not be able to protect his own people or be able to have justice take place for those who have destroyed the nations, those who have destroyed Christians, he wouldn't be a God of love whatsoever. So one day God will pour out his wrath, but till then... He's giving you a chance to repent. He's giving me a chance to repent. He's giving each and every one of us a chance to look at Scripture and just simply say, God, I agree with you. That's all that it means to repent. You look at the Bible and you say, God, I agree with you. That's all that it is. But in our pride, in our hardness of heart, we scoff at God and we pick and choose what Scriptures we like. We say that's not for today. This isn't what it looks like. And we say this isn't the case. That is pride. May we truly be willing to repent, saying, God, you were right. I was wrong. Lord, forgive me. Lord, what you have to say is true. Jesus, you coming and dying, taking the wrath, becoming sin for me. Lord, it's true. And I'm so humbled and broken that you would do that for me. That's what repentance looks like. We look at this next seal, the sixth seal, verse 12. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. After all of these, in a sense, man-made difficulties, war, murder, death, uh, starvation, pestilence, after all these things transpire, all of a sudden, even within the heavens, there's going to be, again, God's wrath being poured out. And it's important for us to be able to look at the book of Revelation and see the things that are just completely true and see where John is using poetic language. Every once in a while, right, we looked at chapter 4 and how that word like is there over and over and over again. He's using poetic language, right? Poor John's using the best words he can to describe what in the world am I looking at right now, right? So here when he says that the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, right? He's not saying that the sun is literally becoming a whole piece of sackcloth. That's not what he's speaking of, but how it's going to be darkened. It's going to be blackened. The moon's going to become like blood. 
And many of the Old Testament prophets have spoken of this day. You can just write these down. We don't have time. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. He says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men will cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloudness and thick darkness. The prophet Joel in chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, he says, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Again, many of the Old Testament prophets, they warn us of this great day where all of a sudden there's going to be earthquakes transpiring in this earth. Again, we don't know how much God is protecting us from just, right? They call them acts of God every once in a while on the Weather Channel, right? Act of God, Mother Nature, whatever the case they want to say, right? And we don't know how much God is protecting us from. I was talking to someone yesterday how they, in Yellowstone, there's like a super volcano hiding right there in the smack dab in the middle of the U.S., right? If it will blow up, there'd basically only be Alaska, Maine, and Florida left, right? And how maybe God, he's, he's protecting that. He's keeping that volcano from going. He's got his finger in it, making sure nothing blows up, right? And, and God is protecting us. He is preserving us. He is preserving this world whether we like it or not. Life can only flow out of God and out of Jesus Christ. Apart from him, being separated from him, is death. That's really the best way to look at death. It is a separation. When you die, you separate from this earth. You separate from your body. When you've, had, when you've had a bad breakup, you say, oh, the relationship's over. It's dead, right? What does that mean? There's been a bad separation. That dream is dead. There's been a separation of that dream that you think it's going to ever happen. And the only thing that brings life and protection and peace and joy, it's only Jesus Christ. It's only by him, it's only by his blood, it's only by the love of God for us. So it says there's going to be great earthquake, the sun's going to become black, right? it's going to become darkened, the moon is going to become like blood. Then it says the stars of heaven, they're going to fall on the earth. There's going to be meteorites falling upon the planet, the chaos, the destruction that's going to be taking place. The sky's going to be rolled back. Like a scroll. Then it says in verse 14, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. These are two ideas here for safety, for being grounded. When you're going on a long hike and you're up on the top of a mountain, right? You're like king of the world, right? You're able to look around and you feel like you're protected, you're grounded, nothing can happen to you. And these mountains, they're gonna be brought low, they're gonna be moved and shaken. Every island, when you're out at sea in the midst of a storm, where, what do you want to find? You want to find land. You want to find whatever island you can find. You just want to get out of the storm. You want peace, tranquility. You want safety. Again, I said at the nine, someone was like, you got to say the same thing for my, for my spouse, right? And again, if you want to visit Hawaii, you want to visit Fiji, now's the time to do it. Because after the tribulation, it's not going to exist. They're just all going to be wiped out. The keys, I don't know if I buy property in the keys if I are you or not, right? It's all going to get wrecked. 
It's all going to get destroyed as a mark of the tribulation, God's wrath being poured out. If you think you're going to be here, right, and you want to be wise, you'd sell those properties on all these tropical islands, and what you would buy is space in the caves and in dens. Because in, cha- in verse 15, right, what does it say there? Even the kings, even the rich men, even the great men, even the commanders of the armies, the mighty men, from slave to free men, everyone is going to be trying to hide themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. How many meteors have to be following a day? How much lightning, how much thunder, how much chaos has to be happening for mankind desiring to hide in caves. Again, it's just it's going to be chaos. And here they're crying out, but look at what they cry out. They're talking to the mountains, right? They say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand Bible commentator Torrance, he says, it is the wrath of love. The wrath of sacrificial love, which having done the absolute utmost for us and our salvation, tells us as nothing else could the certainty with which evil awaits its doom at the hand of God. Again, this is just the love of God being poured out. He's tried to save us. He's tried to protect us. And one day he will give men the desires of their heart to be separated from God. No more God. God is dead. God out of our schools. Christians out of the the public sphere. Get all of this out of here. And one day God will answer their requests. And they don't want to hide from death. They don't want to hide from pain. They don't want to hide from their sin. But what they desire to hide from is the face of of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the lamb. Again, how angry do you have to make a lamb for wrath to come out of it, right? I don't think you're ever in a petting zoo and you see a lamb and you sort of run out, right? Because you're, you're scared of what may, may transpire. You could be around five sheep, ten sheep, I think a thousand sheep. And if, you're, if you've got a somewhat good head on your shoulders, right, you're not freaking out or scared about what's going to happen. But one day this lamb, as the world has seen, his wrath is going to be poured out. He's not just that suffering servant. He's not just the gracious God that Jesus is. But one day he's going to come and his wrath will be poured out. Again, we said, how could he not? He's given his absolute all. God has done all that he can to save mankind. And yet many of us, we turn our face at God. We scoff at him. Scripture, we could turn to quickly John chapter 3. And here even what John is speaking of in Revelation, John's going to speak about it again in John chapter 3, is that there are men and women even today, right? This spirit of the Antichrist, this spirit of loving their sin more than anything else, that they would rather be able to do their sin and be free to do their sin without any conviction than save the world around them. They could care less if the world around them burns. They could care less if the world around them is destroyed as long as they can continue in this sin. John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. There in verse 19, when it says, men loved darkness rather than light, it's a scary verse because the word in the Greek there for love is agape. It's agape love. Men sacrificially loved darkness more than light. We see small glimpses of this, and it's always a heartbreak, right? You have someone that has an addiction, alcohol or drugs, pornography, sex, gambling, and they'd rather hold on to that addiction and see their whole family destroyed than letting go of that sin. You see it time and time again, small aspects within the family. But at a larger scale, there are people today, right? We see it a whole lot within the trans movement and what they're trying to do to the children today. They would rather see families and homes absolutely destroyed than let go of their sin and darkness. They don't care. They don't care if the whole nation is destroyed. If it's burnt to the ground, as long as they can sin willfully without any conviction. And this is what John is talking about here in Revelation. They don't want to stop their sin. They're not asking God to save them. They're not coming to their knees and laying down their pride and humility saying, Lord, come save us. They're saying, I just want to be hidden from his presence. I just want to continue in my darkness and everybody can just die, burn, and I just want to continue in this darkness. We see little glimpses of it today. Again, prepare our sons and daughters. This world, if they have anything to do with Jesus, this world will hate them. Because time and time again in the New Testament, Jesus warns us, if you are friends with the world, you are at enmity with God. So there's only two sides. You're either with God or you're with this world and the things of this world. And this world wants nothing to do with the Lord. Finally, the chapter ends in verse 17 for great For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Again, who can stand this incredible wrath? God's word tells us, right? It's only those who are in Christ, right? Faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. A couple scriptures we can turn to. Worship team, you can start getting ready. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. If you're quick, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it pretty soon. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, what do we stand in? Do we stand in our good works? Not at all. Do we stand in our church attendance? We have our frequent flyer card at Calvary Chapel, Miami. Is that what we stand in? No. We stand in the grace of God. It's only by His goodness. 
It's only by his goodness that he sent his only son to take our wrath, the wrath we deserve. Jesus took on the cross for you and I. And it's only by that grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that we can stand this insane wrath. Why is that? Because Jesus withstood the wrath of God for you and I. He withstood the wrath of God for all of humanity. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, and by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Again, we need to stand in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and then we have to hold fast to that word. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, Peter says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Again, the only way we can withstand this amount of wrath, it's only by the grace of God. It's not by our intellect that we can withstand the wrath of God. It's not by my parents are saved or I've always been at church that we can withstand the wrath of God. It's only by the grace of God, which what's the greatest display of love is Jesus Christ dying for you and I. So again, remember, may we look at Revelation chapter 6 and have profound gratitude for Jesus saving us and keeping us from this wrath, providing a way to save us and keep us from the wrath to come. May we be able to look at our life and realign things. Is this really important? Is that not important? Am I setting up treasures in heaven? And finally, we should have a zeal within us to see unsafe friends, unsafe family members, and even strangers at the gas station or grocery store come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be around when there's two billion bodies dead on this planet. I don't want to be around. Hopefully you don't want anyone else to be around either. So may we go about our Father's business. So hey, let's all stand. Pastors can come up. We'll close in worship if you need prayer. There'll be pastors up front. Uh, If not, we'll close after the song. Lord, we just love you. And again, God, thank you that your bride, you have not appointed to wrath, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, may each and every person here, Lord, please, may we be able to know that we have this walk and relationship with you, Lord. Lord, search our hearts. Our hearts, Lord, we know that your word tells us it's, it's evil, Lord. Who can know it? Our hearts, they lie to us over and over and over again. But God, we're asking you right now to give us a moment of clarity. To be able to have introspection to see, do we really love you? Do we really obey your commandments? Jesus, do we believe who you are? Do we believe that you're the word made flesh? Do we believe in your word cover to cover? Lord, are we obeying your commandments? Do we have a love for the body of Christ? Lord, convict us right now if perhaps we're a make-believer. If we're just acting and playing, Lord. May we know there's no protection from the wrath to come if we're just an actor at church, God. Lord, do this work within us, Lord. We don't want this wrath. We want to be able to see other men, other women come to you, Lord. Lord, even right now we pray for the prodigals in our lives. The brothers, the, the fathers, the sisters, the mothers, Lord. 
family members, co-workers, Lord, those that have departed from the faith, may they come back to know you even this week, Lord. Lord, we do, we pray for you to come, but Lord, we pray that you'd save, Lord, that you'd save those around us, God. Lord, we just love you. May you pour out your spirit upon us this morning, Lord. Help us to come up front and repent, Lord. If we've been arguing with you, if we've been arguing with your word, Lord, may we remember you are God and we are not. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.